So good morning, Storyline. It's so good to be together. I didn't know if anyone would be here today with the weather, so it's always weird. I'm always pray for the exact um, kind of weather that we want, which is not too bad because I hate snow and cold, but not so good that people are doing other things. So thank you for being here. Um, so our son Jimmy must have been about uh, four years old when this happened. Uh, he was in his car seat in the back of the car, and we were driving down Red Arrow um, in Stevensville area there by the bypass, uh, overpass and coming north on Red Arrow. And we we're coming up on Dairy Queen in Stevensville, the old Dairy Queen in Stevensville, okay? Now, Jimmy didn't know much at four, but he knew exactly where the Dairy Queen was. And it wasn't unusual for him to ask to stop in, to go to Dairy Queen. And it was also not unusual, at least when his mom wasn't with us, for us to do so. And so, you know, because I love him. I'm a good dad, right? So uh, I'm driving, and, you know, I'm waiting for the question. So I'm looking in the mirror, and I could see the wheels turning in this boy. Uh, But this time he takes another angle, okay? And he goes, Dad, he says, is God everywhere? I'm like, okay, here we go. Yes, Jimmy, God's everywhere. Is he in the sky? Yes, he's in the sky. Is he on the moon? Of course, Jimmy's on the moon. Is he in our car? And what can I say? Yes, he is. And then I could see him in the mirror, face kind of pressed up against the back window, like peering, like longing for the Dairy Queen, right? And then he says, Dad, is God in my tummy? <laughs> now, how, do you, how are you supposed to answer that, right? Like, I don't want to say no, and so I'm kind of a little bit, I don't know. And so anyways, I said something like, Sure, he's in your tummy. And then his eyes light up, looks at me in the mirror, and he goes, Daddy, I think God wants some ice cream. (laughs) Hysterical. Oh, now how do you argue with that? You can't. So we stopped, and when I got home, I blamed it on God. Look, the part of uh, my role in our community that I cherish the most, and there's a lot of them that I, I really enjoy, but the one that I cherish the most is meeting with people and hearing their story. I don't think anything has taught me more about life, about my life, about God and faith than the incredible wisdom and humility, the generosity and love that so many people possess, often in the most unbelievably difficult, tragic, and painful circumstances. And it's truly inspiring. There are other ways, of course, to respond to the hard parts of life, and I think at times we all do. And, and there's other themes that emerge often in these times when I'm sitting with people and listening to their story. And a lot of times it's connected to their connection or lack thereof to God or faith or church. And people frequently tell me things like, you know, like, I just, I just don't believe in God. And then they keep talking, and by the end of the conversation, it's clear, at least to me, that they actually do believe in God. But there's something else going on, something other than God's existence that's the actual problem. See, in the hardest times of life, or in those times when we really want something, like ice cream, or like the song said that Mike and David just sang, when we feel like we just have no hammer to hold, because life's just thrown us a big curveball. It's not God's existence that's the question. It's his intention. 
That, I think, is really the crux of the issue so many times. And in my experience, it's actually very rare to meet like a true blue, through and through atheist. And when I do, believe me, I'm all ears. I listen, I listen because they ask the best questions. Like, what kind of God would allow blank? Or I can't believe in a God who would blank. And then those blanks are filled in with some real whoppers. Some really, I think, often legitimate questions about God's intentions. But that doesn't mean that they don't believe in, that God exists. Often when life goes off the rails, it's possible to believe in God and not trust in Him. It's a pretty intense scene. Uh, more intense if I wouldn't have edited it, believe me. <laughs> and maybe you've never prayed a prayer like that. I uh, can't say that I've used those exact words, but I certainly know the feeling of this void, this great gap between me and between God. When I'm really questioning, what in the world are you up to? Questioning his intentions. Really, it's just another way of saying I'm questioning his goodness. You know, last week was Easter, and the resurrection is obviously the climax of that story. But what we discovered when we look at the whole story of Easter, we see people beginning to take one step at a time from questioning God's intentions to trusting in them. Another way to say it might be moving from a belief in God, acknowledging that he exists, to a faith in God, like trusting that he is good. Now, make no mistake about it, it is for our sake that the good and loving God of the Bible wants us to have faith in Him. It's for our sakes, not His. It's for our sakes. But when we look at the entire story of Easter, all that came just before it, during it, and after it, it's clear that God also recognizes that the journey from believing in His existence to faith in his goodness can be long and arduous. I think he gets that. And the whole story of Easter shows us that. Because most of us, it takes us a while to get from a belief in God's existence to a faith or a trust in his goodness for us. And we get there in steps, baby steps even. Which is why this month we've actually been framing this process as stages of faith. And we've looked at four stages, three stages of faith so far, and this morning we're going to look at the fourth one of harmony. And I think we're going to see again God's grace and patience, his love and his tenderness for all of us when we look at the whole story of Easter. So let's remember that we're exploring the possibility that Faith, like every other aspect of life, biological, psychological, emotional, mental, and physical, is developed and experienced in stages or in steps. And the reason that we're framing in that way is because that we hope that by being aware of this, it can help us to be more patient and understanding with ourselves and with one another. And also raise our awareness to help us recognize, if you will, that it's the challenges of life that can actually be the chance. The things that seem to be the obstacle that can really be like the opportunities. It's the doubts 
that can be the doorways to a deeper faith in God in this process of moving from a belief in his existence to a trust or a faith in his goodness. And that that happens best, and we see this over and over again in the Bible, and we see it when we back up and we look at the whole story of Easter. That happens best, almost, almost as if it's meant to happen when we're part of a loving and supportive community, the kind of community that Jesus clearly established right from the beginning. By the way, I have to mention this because this, I get so much feedback from Storyliners every week. It is, it's another one of my favorite parts of this role is the emails, the texts, the phone calls that I get on Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays about what people thought of the talk. And um, don't ever hesitate to do that unless you have like a critique or something, then call Mike Cook, okay? <laughs> but uh, if it's something you liked, I want to hear from you. <laughs> but... but um, I was surprised by the number of people last week who shared with me how much they resonated with that third stage of faith of perplexity. That, that, that stage of faith where faith looks and feels very, very different than believing or having faith is supposed to. And it's been such a great reminder for me this week that what God has called us to, the mission, the dream that he's given us of in, in, in inviting us to be and to become the kind of community that invites and includes anyone and everyone as we are to belong before we believe, no matter what we believe, regardless if we believe at all, that that is not an unimportant mission to just a few people on the fringes. Actually, as Americans increasingly reject religion and walk away from the church, the number of those of us who feel perplexed who sense this great gap, this huge void, is growing really, really fast. And it's right into that space, into the, uh, for those kinds of people that God has called Storyline into existence. So um, one of the questions that I'd like to invite us to all kind of hold in the back of our heads this morning as we consider this stage of harmony and another scene in the Easter story is, are we a community that includes and invites, or invites and includes, that welcomes and cherishes, that learns from and treasures all people as they are, where they are. Do we really believe that God has something to show us, teach us, through each and every person that he brings to Storyline? Because to the extent that we aren't like that yet, we're not only missing out on the clear example that Jesus set for us, um, but we're also going to be missing out on some pretty amazing people. Let me give you one quick example. There's a book called Come Be My Light, and it's a collection of letters, of confessions, really, that this one woman, this one woman writes over many, many years. And most, uh, many of these letters are basically confessions that she's making for decades about her own doubt about her struggle with belief, having faith in God. In one letter, she writes this, if I ever become a, a saint, I will surely be one of darkness. In another, she responds to a man who says to her, will you please pray for me so that I'll have clarity? And her response to him is, I will not, 
for clarity is the last idol. And yet, with all of her personal struggles with faith, her aversion for clarity, in one, in one particularly moving letter, she begs her archbishop, she's a, she's a Catholic woman, she begs her archbishop to let her break her vows as a nun so that she can go and live among the poorest of the poor. And this is what she wrote. Please let me go. If the work be all human, it will die with me. If it be all his, it will live for ages to come. Now, can you even imagine a world without Mother Teresa? Where her doubts and her struggles were, instead of a doorway to a deeper faith, they were the end of the life of faith. And that's too often the case nowadays. That happens way too often. People don't hang in there. They're not encouraged. They're, they can't find a safe place to explore and to ask their, their questions. But my question for us when it comes to Mother Teresa is where does, where does that kind of faith come from? How does a faith like hers that she admits is thin and frail and full of doubts generate a passion to love the poor? and the oppressed, and the down and the out, and other perplexed and confounded people just like her. Well, when we look at the whole story of Easter, I think we'll find it comes from the example of Jesus and his very first followers, and the first moments of what we can call the Christian church. So, we're gonna dive into the contours of harmony very briefly, and then we're going to look at another Easter story and how the first followers of Jesus lived all this out. I think in amazing ways that really does, should challenge all of us individually, challenge storyline, and challenge the contemporary church. So in this stage of harmony, um, we begin to see and think differently. Uh, we begin to see and think in an in a integrated or a holistic way. So binary thinking, or what we call dogmatic, dogmatic black and white, yes or no, in or out, good or bad thinking, even pragmatic reasoning have kind of shown us their limitations at this point. So we, have, we start to look and think at the, uh, with the world differently. And this integration frequently goes along with interdependence. Okay, so like, th this is the ability to both think for ourselves along with the humility and willingness to learn from others and to learn from life and to learn from our own mistakes. Now, the anger and resentment that was often aimed at authority figures who failed us or who didn't have all the answers that we wanted or they did something horrible, that those things that, that we have in earlier stages, that anger and resentment kind of recedes because we aren't expecting human beings to be perfect anymore or to have all the answers. And if there are heroes for us in this stage, we consider them to be more like sages. So um, folks who see things from a different perspective than we do because of their background, because of where they're coming from, it's not something that we can uh, learn our way into or be explained to us it is something that we have to share with somebody that is, will share it with us because they literally see life from a completely different angle. 
So often in this stage, we start to notice like the one love reality of life. I love that song that we opened up with this morning. Like Mike, Mike, it's one of my favorites. And, and in this stage, we can acknowledge that while there are, all of us have distinct personalities and distinct individual identities, uh, we have different nationalities, ethnicities, and cultures, everyone, humanity writ large, shares a common source. There's this thread that's running through all of hum human beings that, that ties us together, that's bigger than anything that could separate us or wants to be, could be, if we let it. So in harmony, we recognize the tension that there are some things that are knowable and there are other things that are not. And I did a several talks uh, several years ago about this how we how do we how can we what's it look like to resist the temptation to resolve the tension between things like that how do we live on that wire and in harmony we start to find our balance the ability to live in the tension between what is what we what is knowable and what is not and finally in this stage we find meaning not like in who i am or or what group I belong to, or the accuracy or the righteousness of my belief system, my worldview, my political party, my country, but in God alone. Like in love, capital L. That's what starts to happen in harmony. And to me, the best description of harmony goes like this. Life is a gift, and love is the point. Life is a gift and love is the point. I love that so much. Life is a gift, love is the point. And this is everywhere in the Bible, by the way. These are just four quick passages, uh, verses that I, that I found on love is, uh, life is a gift and love is the point. We see it, this, by the way, in the life of Jesus. As he lived this out, and we see, there's a sea of characters that are drawn to him from all walks of life. They're drawn to him and his love. Everyone is drawn to love. Even those of us who claim to be atheists, even those of us who say, I'm purely fact and science-driven, we're transfixed by love. Now, if you've never seen the film Interstellar, it's about eight or nine years old now, fantastic film. I highly recommend it. The script was actually um, highly researched to kind of reflect the best science at the time, and it's a, the story, in part, of multiple teams of astronauts that are sent out into the galaxy to look for a new home because, you know, the world's disintegrating, okay? So that's, that part of the story is pretty, we see that all the time, right? But these multiple exploratory missions are they go out to the far reaches of the galaxy, and in the scene that we're about to see, this is the follow-up mission, where three astronauts are sent out to select which world is the best one for humanity to start again, okay? And on that mission, on this follow-up mission, something goes horribly wrong, and they discover that not only are there only two surviving explorers, but this crew only has the ability to go and pick one or the other 
And when they do so, they're both going to rescue that person, and that will become the world that humanity goes to. And so they're choosing between Dr. Mann, a scientist and an astronaut named Dr. Mann, who kind of invented the whole idea, and another astronaut named Wolf Edmonds. So the question is, which one are they going to rescue? Which, one, which planet are they going to choose? And why? Everyone, everyone resonates with love. Yes, it, it, it's beyond our understanding, but it's not beyond our most basic desire in life. And in harmony, in the stage of harmony, our basic desire is increasingly to live in this reality. So at Storyline, we often say it's something like this, loving the life we live and living a life of love, or living in and living out the grace of God. Maybe this morning we can add life as a gift, love is the point. In harmony, all of this becomes our new simplicity. Sounds so good, doesn't it? That'd be great. So last Sunday, we saw how perplexing the whole story of Easter was to everyone involved. And that's, by the way, including Jesus, who was confounded in the Garden of Gethsemane, actually begging God, like, is there another way? (laughs) There's got to be a plan B here, right? And then he's confused on the cross. He shouts out at God, why have you forsaken me? To the mystified first followers who could not wrap their head around on Easter morning, that Jesus was resurrected. They refused to believe Mary, who first came to them and said, he is risen. And we ended last week with what is my second favorite story in the Bible. It's Jesus' final instructions. It's also known as the Great Commission to his first followers. Now, you could argue that these are the most important words that Jesus ever spoke. He saved them for the very end. Typically, that's what people do. Like, this is the last thing I'm going to say to you, so listen up. But then, and it's a cool thing. These people get a meaning and a mission and a community. It's a flourishing life we talked about. But when we go back up two verses, when we back up two verses to see who he is talking to, it's a real shocker. Nobody saw this coming. It's so surprising. I I believe it's a surprise that should make every community of faith ask themselves, is this true of us? Is this true of us? Because the Bible says that Jesus, when he gave his final instructions, he was talking to worshipers and doubters. Worshipers and doubters. And he didn't seem to care. It didn't throw him off at all. It gave him no pause whatsoever. He didn't exclude exclude or shame or diminish doubters in any way. He gave them the same exact mission. He offered them the same exact opportunity as the worshipers. Apparently, we said last week, doubt doesn't disqualify discipleship. It's a a mind blower because this is not how we, we don't do anything this way. We don't form communities like this. On a human level, every community we, we form is like, you've got to you know, run the gauntlet to get in it. Not for Jesus. So this is Jesus modeling, I believe, harmony 
It's like him looking beyond who believes right now. Who in this moment and in this instant gets it? You're in. Everyone else, out. He's focused on bringing people together for, so for the sake of them moving forward. Together, so they can move forward together, sharing God's grace and love. Almost as if life is a gift and love is the point. And maybe you'll catch on along the way. So last week, we saw Jesus is inviting us in this story. He's inviting us individually to join him on his mission to to love the world right again. Uh, No matter where we are in our stage of faith, this morning's Easter story is more about our life together. It's more specifically about our, our life together as a community. And like last week, it also has this really, I think, stunning line in it. So this is what the Bible says. On the evening of that first day of the week, so this is Easter evening, okay, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas was one of the twelve. He was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, that would be today, by the way, one week after Easter, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, doors are locked again. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Now here it is. If you're not looking carefully, if you don't read it closely, if you don't read it slowly, you can miss it. Did you catch the surprise in that passage? Like the stunning line that's not supposed to be there. It's not supposed to be there. The phrase that we don't know what to do with. The one that challenges almost every conception of what a community of faith is supposed to look like. What it's supposed to be like. Who it's supposed to be for. Here it is. A week later, Thomas was with them. A week later, Thomas was with them. Now think about this. For a week, in all of his doubt, not just his doubt about Jesus and the resurrection, but in Thomas's doubt about the other disciples, he's still with them. This is a group being hunted by Jewish authorities. They are hiding behind locked doors. One of their own, Judas, has already betrayed them. This is like a life and death situation. And now Thomas is basically accusing them of either being liars or crazy or both. And yet a week later, there he is still with them. Not only are they not offended by his doubt, Not only are they not defensive about him doubting them, or the implication that he's making about their sanity, 
their rationality, their intelligence, the kind of things that doubters and skeptics often do, if for no other reason having Thomas with them was dangerous because he might betray them too. Yet the Bible says a week later, Thomas is still with them. And I think this tells us so much about the very first days of the very first church and what it was about, who it was for. And I think it begs the question, has the church over the centuries, does the church today treat doubters, the skeptics, the disapproving, the way the first church treated Thomas? They included Thomas. They accepted Thomas. He was with them in spite of the accusations of the, off of the offense, of the doubt, and the danger, because to the first church, Thomas was one of them. He was already one of them, regardless of what he believed. Maybe it's because after Easter, instead of trying to figure out who was the best, something the disciples had done before, they argued about, or worrying about, hey, when do we get fed? Again, something they were constantly asking, or arguing about what to do with people who don't believe. One time they suggested calling down fire from heaven, true story. Maybe the entire story of Easter revealed to them finally that life is a gift and love is the point. And that means belonging is a given, not something to be earned. It's not something to be achieved. Belonging becomes, belonging comes before believing. It did then and it still does. So if we're a community that is striving and yearning and hoping to live in and live out the grace of God, we, we must be a safe and sound people. And we are. <laughs> we're moving in that direction. I love that about Storyline. But we have a long way to go. I have a long way to go. You know, for, for anyone, we have to be a safe and sound people for anyone and everyone to belong, to participate, and to contribute until God does what only God can do, which is exactly what he did for the disciples hiding in that room. And it's exactly what he did for Thomas one week later, which is to come through the locked doors of our hearts and into our lives. Look, it is possible to believe all kinds of theologically accurate things about God and his existence, but not be a community of faith in God and his grace a community that trusts in the good and loving intentions of God in a way that loves people like me and like you when we're worshiping, when we're doubting, and every day in between. The whole story of Easter, from the last moments of Jesus' life on earth with the Great Commission given to worshipers and doubters to the very first moments of the first church with Thomas. It, it's one that calls us to be that kind of community. Living in harmony with God and with one another, with ourselves, means at a level that's before us, that's beneath us, that's beyond us. What we can simply understand or even explain, we can at least acknowledge we are all in the process we're all in the process. We're taking baby steps of trusting 
that life is a gift and love is the point. And maybe this dawns in us, maybe it dawns on us as we experience with one another that love is the gift that gives life a point. If there's anything in you that resonates with that, that says, yes, this, this is what I want. This is what I've always wanted. This is what I've been looking for all my life. Maybe this is a God unlocking a door and inviting you to take one step closer. So how, with all of the chaos in the world, with everything that is happening around us and in us, can we have faith, trust, that this kind of love is the intention of God. For me, it is, and it comes down to Easter. The whole story of Easter. This is God filling that great void between us. It is God coming down to way more than explain himself. It is God dying every day waiting for us. Because he's loved us for a thousand years and he's going to love us for a thousand more. This is the kind of love and the loving community that empowers the Thomases and the Mother Teresas in all of us to take one step closer. So regardless of what stage of faith we're in, or if we're in any stage of faith at all, the invitation of Easter and Jesus' gospel of grace is for us to harmonize, harmonize our life with the stunning, heart-stopping, gorgeous, soaring, beautiful, and brilliant reality that through his life and death and resurrection, life is a gift and love is the point. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place and for the opportunity to be together. And we thank you for the whole story of Easter and how your resurrection life includes everyone, the confounded and the confident, the mystical and the mystified, the worshipers and the doubters. Help us to remember that for ourselves. Help us to cling to the ways that you have filled the void, that you've come to us and come for us to die with us so that we can live through you and to create the kind of community where we can all take baby steps closer to you and remind each of us if it takes one day, one month, or a thousand years to accept our acceptance, to harmonize our life with yours, you're always waiting for us. As we leave this morning, I pray that you'd help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming, folks. We'll see you next week.